0: All right, hey, if you're, if you're new here and if I haven't met you, I'm Pastor Brian, it, it's so good to see you today. For right now, we're going to jump into the book of Mark. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8 today. And last week, I was here and we, we looked at the section just before verse 31, and today we're going to finish up verse, from verse 31 all the way to the end of, the, of chapter 8, and we're going to just cover verse 1 of chapter 9 because it kind of fits together in the context of all of this. But we're going to talk today about the cost of discipleship. It's a fun sermon. <laughs> we're going to talk about what the cost is of following Jesus. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about that this, this uh, blind person comes to Jesus to be healed. If you, if you weren't here, I'll just give you a quick update because it relates to today. And, and Jesus touches him and he does something that he'd, he'd never done before. He only healed him partially at first. If you, if you remember last week, we saw that he, he didn't do that because he couldn't do it all at once. It's because he was trying to teach his disciples a lesson. He was almost setting them up for what we're going to talk about today. Because he said, can you see anything now? And the guy's like, I can kind of see things, but they look like trees walking. And so then he touched him again, and he healed him completely. And the second time, he was completely healed. And what we talked about, this two-stage healing, the only time in the Gospels that Jesus does a two-stage healing. Every other time, he heals immediately, fully, at once. But he did it that way because I think that's kind of how the journey works for all of us, is that we're all kind of on a, on a journey toward knowing who Jesus is. And maybe you're here today and you would say, yeah, I'm at the front end of the journey. Or I'm right in the middle of the journey. Or I'm, I'm at the, I've I'm known Jesus for a long time. But for for many people, I think, The longer you journey with God, the more you realize that it really is kind of a journey. It's not just a destination, it's a journey. And and more and more, just week after week or month after month or year after year, your your eyes are opened up to who God is, specifically who Jesus is and what what he really came to do. And that's what was happening for the disciples. The disciples are opening their eyes to who Jesus is. And they're slowly, for eight chapters, they're slowly opening their eyes to what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. And so after Jesus healed this blind guy in stages, he basically turned to his disciples and he said, who do you think I am? And Peter famously said last week, Peter said, you're the Messiah. And so Peter makes this like climactic proclamation, the proclamation that Mark, the author of the gospel, in chapter 1, verse 1, Mark said at the very beginning, this is the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we see at the very beginning, this is what the whole thing's about, But a human doesn't profess that from his lips until the middle of chapter 8, halfway through the gospel of Mark. Finally, Peter says it. He says, you are the Messiah. Okay, now I want want you to remember this as we get to today's text because it's actually really comical what Peter's going to say next in today's text. Because he just got off of a high last week. Like, man, he is just on the mountaintop. Maybe some of you have been here before you, like, have a mountaintop experience. Our students just got back from Summerfest. It was such a mountaintop experience for them. And, man, you are, like, connecting with God like never before. And some of you, maybe you remember those kinds of days. Or maybe you've been here at church, and, and you just, like, a worship set like today, and you're like, man, I'm just connecting with God. This is awesome. And then you end up, like, getting in a fight with your spouse, right, you know, on the way out of church in the minivan. And if you've ever been like this before, you're like, man, what is wrong with me? I'm like, up here One minute. And then I'm, the next minute I'm just, I'm not only disappointing God, I'm disappointing myself. And so if that's you today, I want you to know that that's, hey, that's normal, that's humanity, that's life, that's Peter, that's definitely Peter. And so today we're going to get into sort of part two of last week's message where, where Peter is this, on this mountaintop saying, you're the Messiah, you're, you're the son of God, like he's saying these, things, these powerful things, but we're going to see he doesn't even know what he's saying. Honestly, he does not even know what he's saying. He makes his profession of faith, but we see literally just verses later that even his profession of faith is imperfect, and that's good for us to remember because last week some of you, for the, for the first time you professed your faith in Jesus last week, some, we gave you an opportunity to do that, so some of you did that last week, and probably now seven days later you're like, man, I've had, I've had a disappointing week. Like, I really thought I, I put my faith in Jesus last week, and I've had a disappointing week. Now, I really thought things would be different, and I feel like, I feel like I'm still the same guy, and I still have my problems. And so, I hope you're encouraged today, because Peter's going to embarrass himself. He's going to put his foot in his mouth, you're going to see today. But before we get to that, because, because basically today what we're doing is we're talking about the true identity of the Messiah, Jesus is going to pull the curtain back a little bit more on what it means that he's the Messiah. Remember, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And, and he doesn't even know what he's saying. So Peter, or Jesus is going to tell him what, tell Peter what that means. He's going to tell the disciples what it means to be the Messiah. But then in the second half of the message today, Jesus is going to tell the disciples what it means to be a follower of the Messiah. So he's going to, do, he's going to give us a two for one today. He's going to give us, what does it mean to be the Messiah And what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be Christ? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And a Christian just means little Christ. So there's a connection between being the Messiah and being a Christian. And that's what Jesus is going to do today. And it all all has to do with, get ready, it all has to do with suffering. It all has to do with suffering. So we're going to start with just a really simple question. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus I want you to think about right now, last year, how many people do you think died for their faith in Jesus? We call that being martyred. How many people were martyred for their faith in Jesus? We actually keep stats on that kind of thing. Do you think it's 50? Just in your, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Do you think it's 50? Worldwide, people who died for their faith. 50? Do you think it's 100? It's 250? Last year, almost 6,000, 6,000 people in 2022 died for their faith worldwide. When I hear a stat like that, I'm like, what in the world? Like, that's stuff that you read about in the New Testament. That's stuff that you read about in history books. That's stuff I studied in seminary, but I didn't think that kind of thing happened in modern society. 6,000 people died. Almost 5,800, more than 5,800 people died last year for their faith. And the year before, it was in the 4,000s. So it's going up, not down. Now you say, well, whoa, that's not our culture. That's not our society. I mean, yeah, we, we suffer for, we might suffer for Jesus, but suffering for Jesus in, in America is very different from dying for Jesus. Now I think maybe... Our culture, the way our culture is going is I think this message, today's message, you might need to just hang on to this for some time later. Or maybe you might want to just hang on to this for your kids or for your grandkids. I don't want that. But I see where our culture is going and it's getting more and more godless. And I think that our suffering for Jesus is going to be more than just an inconvenience like it is right now. It's just an inconvenience right now. We're not really suffering like some people are around the world. But today's message is, is going to talk about that because we're going to, you know, we, when we made a decision to study the gospel of Mark this year, we're like, we're going to just take it as it comes, and this is one of those things that just shows up, and so we got to deal with it. So let's look at the text for today. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, then Jesus began to tell, this is right after Peter says, you are the Messiah, right after that. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. It's so easy for us when we're reading the Bible to read through it and we're just, because again, we know, the, most of us know the end of the story. We, we, we do Easter so we know the Easter story. We, when we read this, we know exactly what he's talking about, and so we're reading it with the whole thing in mind, but don't read it today with the whole thing in mind. Read it. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. The disciples, the disciples thought differently about the Messiah than we do today. The disciples didn't understand the Messiah must suffer. They thought the Messiah was going to be like this Davidic king, this conquering political figure who's going to come and he's going to free the Israelites from the oppression of the Romans at this time. That's what the disciples thought about when they thought about the Messiah, and not just the disciples. That's what all the Jewish people thought about when they thought about the Messiah because they read the Old Testament, which is their Bible, and they don't read Psalm 22. In Isaiah 53, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, those are are prophecies about the suffering servant. Those are prophecies about Jesus. If you haven't ever read Psalm 22, go read it. It's unbelievable how specific it gets about Jesus going to the cross and dying. It's unbelievable. And just remember that it was written 800 years before it happened. It was even written hundreds of years before crucifixion was a thing. So read Psalm twenty-two with that in mind, if you're skeptical about whether the Bible really is inspired. Just read Psalm 22 and you'll be blown away. Or Isaiah 53, which talks about the lamb being led to the slaughter and he's gonna have to give up his life and he's gonna in, in like a he's he's not even gonna say a word. He's gonna be led away and not even say a word and he's gonna die. He's going he's to shed his blood for us. You read those prophecies and you're like, wow, that's amazing. How could a Jewish person not see that this is about the Messiah? But none of the disciples thought about Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53 or 50 other prophecies in the Old Testament that are about Jesus' suffering. None of, those, none of the Jewish people read that and thought about the Messiah because they did what we do today sometimes with the Bible is we pick and choose what we want. And we say, this is what I want God to be like for me. And so we fashion him into our image, kind of like an idol. That's what we tend to do. And the Jewish people did that as well. For hundreds of years, the Jewish nation did that. So so when Jesus said, the son of man must suffer, they're like, what? The son of man must suffer? Like if this was a fill in the blank, the son of man, now you fill it in. What do you think? We'll conquer. That's what they would have said. We'll conquer. We'll kick. <laughs> yeah, fill in the blank. You fill in the blank and take names. That's what the Son of Man will do. That's what, how they would have filled it in. But Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer. And not, look, not only that, he's not only going to suffer many terrible things, but he's going to be rejected By, now you fill in the blank. You'd be like, oh, he's going to be rejected by the godless. He's going to be rejected by the pagans. He's going to be rejected by the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the unclean ones. The ones literally that if you were to, if you as a Jewish person were to eat with the Gentiles, you literally had to ceremonially clean yourself as if you just touched a dead person. Crazy. So this is what they would The the Son of Man will be rejected by the Gentiles, those dogs. No, look at what it says. Not only are they going to suffer, is the Son of Man going to suffer, he's going to be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. What? You're telling me, number one, he's going to suffer, not conquer, and number two, he's going to be rejected by the good guys? Literally, the The religious elite, literally the most holy people in their society, that's who is going to reject him. So these guys are hearing this and they're saying, what are you talking about? Literally, that's what the disciples are thinking. Remember, Peter just said, you're the Messiah. But now we understand as we're about to see his response, we're going to understand what that means and and what it means. What it means, the Messiah is the suffering servant, the Messiah is is not a conquering king. The Messiah is the sacrifice. The sacrifice. I mean, of all the the figures in the Old Testament that Jesus is really trying to draw their attention to, it's not David or Samson or Moses. It's the lamb who is slaughtered and put on the altar. That's who it is. That's who Jesus, that's who the Messiah is. That's the, that's the comparison he's trying to draw to the Old Testament. And this is blowing their minds and 11 of them, 11 of them wisely kept their mouth shut. But not Peter. Here's what Peter did. As he talked about this openly, which by the way, that's interesting, finally he's talking about it openly with his disciples. Finally he's telling them what this is about, because if you go back and look at where we've been, Jesus is just giving them little hints, little, little nibbles and bits. That's all he's, doing. he's just give them a little bit here and there, a little bit here and there. But now, now he is like pulling the curtain back, and he's like, here it is, guys. I'm going to tell you what this is all about. I'm going to tell you what Mark 1.1 was all about. This is the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. So finally, he's talking openly with his disciples. Peter took him aside. I could just visualize this. So here the, here the 13 of them are hanging out. And Jesus, you know, Peter had just said this incredible thing. You are the Messiah. And now Peter's like, and Jesus is like, good for you, Peter. You got it. Good for you. And then he says, now here's what the Messiah's going to do. He's going to suffer, and he's going to be rejected by the good guys. And Peter's like, oh, my gosh. And he's, he's, I could see him processing this. He's like, Jesus has gone crazy. He has lost his mind. And so he's like, I don't want to embarrass him in front of the other disciples. You know, James and John, I mean, these guys, sons of thunder, this is going to be terrible. So he just, like he, I think he's like trying to take the high ground Peter is here. I'm just being generous to him. And so he, he, it says he takes Jesus aside. I can see this. He takes him aside. He pulls him aside out of earshot of the other disciples. And now he's having a private conversation. And here's what, he's, here's what he does. He begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus. Did you do you need a snack? <laughs> you seem a little hangry right now, Jesus. Like we don't know how he reprimanded him, but he's 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 like given him. He's like, "Let me sit you down. Let me tell you what you got wrong here." Now, before we mock Peter too much, doesn't that kind of describe doesn't that describe American Christianity? We read our Bibles and we're like, Ooh. Oh, oh, Jesus. You didn't mean to say that, did you? Like, you didn't really say that. Let me reinterpret what you said there. I don't, like, I don't like what you said right there, Jesus. Let me reinterpret that. Let me correct you, or let me, let me cross it out. Let me cross, now we don't, we don't have the gall to actually cross it out in our Bibles. But let me, uh, you know, it's kind of like I have it your way. Like the old Whopper, comm- the old, old Burger King commercials, before the really annoying Burger King commercials that are on, on there now. The, their old commercials were better. Just have it your way. That was their thing. Have it your way. But see, that's, I think, how most people approach Christianity. It's like, have it your way. You don't like that? Oh, throw it out. Have it your way. And so here's the, here's the Burger King Peter guy. He's like, whoa, that's not how we read the Old Testament. That's not how we think this is supposed to work. So let me tell you what the Messiah is supposed to be like. He's reprimanding Jesus. But look at what it says. Jesus turned around. So remember, Peter did this privately. So they're over here. They're over here on the side having this conversation. And Jesus is like, this isn't going to be a private conversation anymore. So Jesus turned around And he looked at his disciples. So he's bringing the other 11 back into the conversation now because he knows that Peter's the only one stupid enough to reprimand him, but he also knows that this is what all the other disciples are thinking too. So they might not put it out there, but he knows that they're thinking this too because they were Jewish. They all thought this. And he wanted to make sure they they heard this next part. So he looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. So Peter's reprimanding him, And Jesus is like, uh uh. And so he brings the others back into it and he reprimands Peter, and here's what he says Get away from me, Satan. Ouch. You know, this is in the Gospel of Matthew. Read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is starting his ministry. First thing he does, he goes away for 40 days in the wilderness. And Satan tempts him in the wilderness. Three different times, Satan tempts him in the wilderness. And you know what Jesus said at the end of that? Get away from me, Satan. He's literally, Jesus is literally saying the same thing to Peter that he said to Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. Because Satan was trying to divert him from the cross. I, I think it's really important for us to understand this. In the wilderness in Matthew 4, Satan is trying to divert Jesus from the cross. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to do here. He's trying to divert him from the cross. Now, Peter doesn't know it's a cross. I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus never said how he would die. Peter doesn't know it's a cross. But he's trying to divert him from suffering and death. And Jesus says to Peter exactly what he said to Satan. Get away from me. Get out of here. I won't hear it. I won't won't be tempted by the easy road. There's a cost to being the Messiah, and Jesus was willing to pay the cost. And he said, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Because there's something about we humans where we just want to take the easy road. Tracy and I, when the kids were little, we would take them camping on occasion. And we realized pretty quickly that camping is not easy. Can I get an amen from some of you guys? Yeah, camping. Do you notice that what you do when you go camping is you do everything you can to make it like the place you just left? <laughs> and we're smarter than most of you, and so we're like, why are we doing this? And we and we stop doing it because, because we see things from a human point of view. Some of you are judging me now. I can feel it already. But like... It's so there's something in human nature to try to make everything as comfortable as we possibly can, and that's and I think Peter wanted that. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I want that. This is my least favorite sermon of the year. I mean, really, honestly, this is my least favorite sermon of the year because I like comfort, and you probably do too. Most of us do, we like comfort. And so it's easy for us to think, you know, be accustomed to this comfortable life and lifestyle, and, to, and then to get to this place, and this is the warning, this is today's message, it's a warning against this, is to get to this place that, that that's what we want at all costs, that we want comfort at all costs. And woe to us if we apply that mentality to our followership of Jesus, because, because if Jesus must suffer then what does that mean about his disciples? And that's what Jesus talks about in the next section. So in verse 34 now, he calls the crowd to join his disciples. So just think about it. Peter took him aside one-on-one. Jesus is like, hey, let's bring in the other 11. Now there's 13 of them in the conversation. And now for this next bit, he calls the whole crowd, and so that's all of us. He's calling all of us in. He wants everyone to hear this next part, and here's what He says, He's not talking about the Messiah anymore, now he's talking about the followers of the Messiah, but there's a connection. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So instead of have it your way, it's give up your way. If you want to be a follower, and this is really true, for for those of you who are here today who have been a Christian a long time, or maybe literally just last week you were here and you prayed that prayer like Peter's declaration of faith in Jesus, you prayed that prayer. But maybe last week, just like Peter, you didn't fully understand what you were signing up for, today I'm telling you what you're signing up for. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to give up your own way. You can't come to Jesus and say, I want, I want to be your follower my way. Jesus says, nope, that doesn't work. You you have to come to Jesus on his terms, not your terms. That's just what it is. And if you're not okay with that, then you shouldn't be a follower of Jesus. I know that's not a very inviting thing to say, but I'm just being honest with you today. I don't like it either. I don't like this sermon any more than you do. But if you're not willing to follow Jesus his way, then you're not going to be a follower of Jesus. No person can follow Jesus and have it their way. Jesus says you must give up your way take up your cross. Now remember the the follow Jesus go back and read it. Jesus never said anything about a cross until right here is the first time. They don't even know that he's going to die on the cross. They don't even know that. Go back and look at it. Check my math, but he never said the word cross anywhere. So they don't even, we read this and we think about Jesus going to the cross. We think of Golgotha, all that stuff. They don't even think about any of that stuff. I'm sure that later on Mark's writing this saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. He said, take up, I remember he said, take up your cross. But now I understand it in the light of the cross, of Jesus going to the cross and being the Messiah. But they didn't know that right here. So what they thought about a cross is this was like this shameful thing, this painful death. The cross was the Roman way of execution. Taking up your cross was not like wearing jewelry to work or to school on Monday. It wasn't wearing your Jesus plus nothing t-shirt, which Chad was wearing, by the way, when we went to Montana. It was awesome just to see all the conversations that that sparked, you know. That's, those are good, like wearing your t-shirt and wearing your cross is good, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about something way more intense, like, take up your cross, irony, by the way, that none of Jesus' disciples were there on the road to Golgotha, and so remember when the Roman soldier forced somebody to take up his cross? It wasn't even one of the 12. They weren't even there. It was just some random guy. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to take, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Now, the word for life there in Greek is psyche. Literally, like where we get the word for psyche. Psyche literally means your true sense of self. That's what your psyche is. Your psyche is your true sense of self. So think about what Jesus is saying. If you want to be my follower, you have to give up your true sense of self. How offensive is that in today's culture? Today's culture says, who do you wanna be? You don't like how God made you? Be somebody else. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if, if you wanna be my follower, you have to be willing to lay on the altar your true sense of self. You have to be willing to come to me and say, what do you want for my life? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to suffer? Instead of chasing comfort and, and ch- at all costs, Jesus is saying, no, you need to give up your own way. You need to give up your true sense of self, your psyche. You need to be willing to take up the cross. And over 5,800 people did it this last year for Jesus, but we never did. None of us had to make that hard decision. I don't even know if we'd be able to, honestly. If that kind of persecution came to America, I don't even know how many Christians would even be in the seats at churches, honestly. And I'm not trying to be like judgmental. I'm talking about myself too. I'm the one who doesn't camp. (laughs) I would not do very well in prison, I'm claustrophobic. Like I've had to wrestle with that, I'm like Jesus. I tell the staff sometimes, like, you know, when we're preaching some of these messages that the culture's not going to like, I look around at the staff, I'm like, who's willing to go to prison for me? Because I'm not sure I would do well there. <laughs> like, I'd rather you just kill me, you know? Could I do that instead? So, like, I, seriously, like, I wrestle with some of this stuff. Because people in my position in other cultures die. A lot of those people, a lot of those 5,800-plus martyrs are people who were in leadership at, in the churches, So I'm not, like, I'm not trying to be, I'm being a little bit lighthearted about this, but honestly, like, this is something we need to wrestle. Am I willing to die? Am I, am I willing to not just give up my psyche, my true sense of self, but am I willing to give up my life, my actual breathing life? And here's a good litmus test. If you're not willing to give up your true sense of self, I bet you you're not willing to give up your life. If you're not willing to live for Jesus, I bet you you're not willing to die for Jesus. That's a pretty easy litmus test. If you're not willing to suffer shame or embarrassment or misunderstanding from the world who sees things one way, if you're not willing to stand up for Jesus at work or at school, I'm like, would you are, are, are you a follower of Jesus? Because this is the cost of discipleship. This is the This is really sort of an indictment of of what we call easy believism. Easy believism is, is, you remember last week I said, if you want to pray that prayer, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to say, you're the Messiah, you're Lord of my life. And some of you did that last week. This is kind of like a gut check to say, that wasn't just about checking off this thing on the list and now you just go live your life however you want to. There's no change. There's no change. You just live however you want to. No, this is a gut check. Jesus says, what what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, I underline that one because that's where we are today. That was 2,000 years ago, and I think that is perfect descriptor of where we are today. These adulterous and sinful days. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then he ends this whole thing Chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And the reason we included this in with everything in chapter 8 is because we think this all fits together as one teaching. Because some people read this and misunderstand this and think that he's talking about coming back. That the, that some people think this is about the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is going to come back, and, and so then they say, look, look, I got you. The Bible's wrong. The Bible can't be trusted because Jesus is saying that some of his, the people alive 2,000 years ago would be there when Jesus comes back the second time, but Jesus didn't come back the second time, and so some, people, some atheists or agnostics use this to, to try to disprove the Bible, but Jesus isn't talking about his second coming here. He's talking about his death and resurrection because when Jesus died and rose again, that's when he ushered in the kingdom of God. That's when the kingdom of God was ushered in to the world. Because think about it the kingdom of God is about him being king and us being servants. The kingdom of God is the perfect word picture for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, for the cost of following Jesus. Are you willing to be a part of his kingdom? He's king, not you. Burger King? Let's not have it your way. You're not the king, he's the king. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be in his kingdom, that kingdom has a cost. To be in his kingdom means we lay down our lives. It means we allow him to be God and not us. We're going to pray for that right now. God, I pray that you would allow us to be in your kingdom. I pray that we would pray like you taught your disciples, your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's what you're talking about here, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be able to give up our way, give up our lives for you. I pray that we would be willing to submit to you. I pray for every person in here who prayed last week or 10, 20 years ago to to become a Christian. God, I pray that you would allow us to look at these words and accept the challenge and say, God, I'll give up my life. I'll give up my identity. I'll give up my psyche and I'll follow you. And God, I pray that you would transform us even as we do it, in Jesus' name, amen.